0: Hello and welcome to the second episode of Widdicombe, Webb and Wobberts. I'm Emma Webb and I'm here with the former Shadow Home Secretary and Brexit Party MEP Anne Widdicombe and comedian Abby Roberts and throughout the show you can send us your questions through uh, the live stream or via Twitter using the hashtag NCFWW, or you can send us an email via contact at newcultureforum.org.uk Since our last show, there have been, to say the least, a lot of developments, particularly on the vaccine front. Uh, So I think that is where we will begin with this uh, article in The Spectator by Ross Clark, who I mentioned in the last episode, had written this interesting article in The Telegraph about the potential for vaccine passports to become some kind of uh, broader electronic ID, has now written in The Spectator about uh, the government's moves towards transforming vaccine passports into some kind of overall health passport that would do things like record your fruit and veg intake your your the amount of exercise (laughs) that you do um and to give you credit like this chinese social credit system to, to reward you for good behavior and presumably to penalize you for bad behavior as well and he was talking about the potential of this to um affect people's you know access to everyday life So I thought, given that we were fighting about this last time round, uh, we should bring this one up again. Um, So, Anne, if you would like to to begin by savaging
1: (laughs) savaging me. First of all, there is no law on earth which compels you to download an app. Absolutely not. You don't have to prove your vaccination status via app. You can do it as I've done it through letter. There's, There's nothing wrong with that at all. Secondly, I don't quite get this, so you're going to be rewarded if you buy some fruit and veg. What happens if you then go next door and buy a great sticky bun? Who's going to know about that? <laughs> oh no, I mean, are we going to have CCTV cameras linked yes. up to the... cashless Cam- you know, Cam- society, on, they can see on. when you
0: buy that sticky bun. I, I,
1: I, I, as I said last week, you know, I think there is a fine line um, between uh, seeing an encroachment of liberty and just getting into conspiracy theories, so you know, if the government wants to monitor my intake of veg, it's going to have an exceptionally hard job to do it because I simply won't download the app. What's
2: so difficult about that? But I think the fact that we are even discussing this—I mean, I think a few months ago I was—I said, you know, sort of jokingly on Twitter, "Oh, what next? You know, are we, are we going to be told off what we eat?" And everyone went, "Oh, you're mad!" <laughs> well, a surprise. I mean, the thing is, once. Wants an app? One, I mean, we won't. We won't have the app because we're sensible, rational people. But many people will just go, "Well, it's all the government wants." And then of course, the next thing you know, they're tracking what you eat, who you sleep with, your medical history. <laughs> I don't know. I've started early this time. Scandalising <laughs> Anne. But then, and also, can you just strap your phone to your dog and then get it just to run? at a great distance and This go, was a point that I've I've done my This day. was a
0: point that Ross Clark made in this spectator article is that they're already trying to uh, look at ways to stop you from being able to send your phone on a jog with a friend while you chow down on a pizza. Exactly, <laughs> <laughs> <from laughs> where you stop your face. But I think the concern is that we've, we've seen this with because you say that you you know This wouldn't be an issue if, like with the NHS app, people are just offloading it now to to get around the issue of the ping-demic. Ping-demic, yeah, people are coming off it. But there are signs that there will be circumstances in which... Yes, now it's not mandatory to have the app, but it could be. So for example, we've seen with care home staff that vaccinations have become mandatory. There are discussions underway that were announced this week that Boris Johnson is apparently discussing making vaccine passports mandatory for students or vaccines mandatory for students, but it will be done through vaccine passports. Um, And so that there, and, and also we've seen it, with, you know, discussions about the Premier League whether unvaccinated fans should be banned. So if we're already talking about making um, vaccine passports mandatory in certain circumstances, it's easy to see how that could become a slippery slope where the government have access to other, not just even medical, I mean we made this point before, it's a point of medical confidentiality, yeah. but also having access to your your health and behaviour records and behavior. in political other contexts, political
2: views. They can sort of like tap you and sort of you know so. Where are we going with this? Well everybody
1: knows what my political views are. Why well, exactly. would I because why, you choose why to why would the government want but, Yeah, I mean Because you choose to
2: reveal them. You know, you choose to but I mean But I no, mean, we've
1: already got inquiries into political views. You have
2: things called opinion polls, you have
1: things called a canvas, and just about everybody in the whole of the country has been canvassed at some point. You know, I, I ju- calm down everybody, calm down and okay. focus on what is actually happening and what is important. And let me say right from the start, I think there are circumstances in which it is reasonable to require vaccination, care homes and hospitals being two of them.
0: So let's, let's just have a quick look at some of the statistics here because um, there was a survey done by the British Chamber of Commerce. They surveyed 1,000 firms and they found that 31% of, thir- of firms um, with more than 50 employees had suggested considering vaccine passports so could you imagine do you think it's possible that we could imagine a situation in which firms could you know require evidence of your broader health rather than just that
1: oh but they do anyway a lot a lot of firms have medicals a lot of firms make you do that
2: anyway come on let's stop inventing stuff but the thing is, in 2019, we were the UK, you know, doing well, civil liberties, talking to each other. I mean, things were in the background, maybe going down a bit of a weird slope with sort of woke left stuff. But suddenly, 2020, we've 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 become communist China. Well, so Sorry, but we, we've become a completely different have a, country. We have
0: a, um, a comment here from um, Maggie from Plymouth, who says, Boris is going to become the prime minister he always warned against. Do you think yeah. that... This is, you know, I mean, there have been lots of people who have been making this point that you voted for a conservative government and you've got a communist. (laughs) Well, we haven't
1: got a communist government, but he's incredibly weak Mm -hmm. Uh, and incredibly weak, and I don't think that 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 he stands up for actually what he believes in, which is free Britain. Do you remember him right at the beginning of this pandemic, right, right at the beginning? Uh, when advising people to stay at home. And television interviewers said, why don't you make it mandatory? Oh, this land of liberty. Well, where is the land
2: of exactly. liberty now? Where is the land of liberty? Exactly. And also, I mean, you could, I suppose, argue this government is more, is, is communitarian in its But communitarian is just a polite word for... Communist. No, I like, not well, I mean, we're we're. But but the
0: thing is, vaccines, now now let's not make communitarian a dirty word. Let's not make it a dirty <laughs> word, even though
2: you know Tony Blair was one. But anyway, um, the fact, when you have a when you have a vaccine as well, you can still get the virus. So what's the point of having vaccine passports? Mm-hmm. Because that's literally uh, like showing showing your you've had a vaccine, and then going, but I've also got COVID. So vaccine, that's completely vaccine, vaccine passports,
0: but not negative tests, and also come September. Despite the fact that we've seen the most substantial decline in COVID cases yeah. without lockdown over the past, there's week. also been yesterday um, a, 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 a study done that showed that the the, flu-
2: the tests couldn't tell between COVID and flu. So yeah, a well, lot of people that were in hospitals, been suspecting
1: that for a long time, um, yeah.
2: actually had flu. Mm-hmm. So the numbers are completely wrong. On this virus, uh, the, the, the I fact think. that
1: the numbers have been wrong has, has been evident for a while. I mean, the question yeah. is, by how much yes, are they wrong? By how much? But and also, are. how
2: many other diseases, how many other coronaviruses, which of which there are hundreds and hundreds in the human body, are we then going to shut down entire economies for? It's worth how pointing? many more? It's worth pointing out that when you look at those
1: statistics for the numbers of deaths from COVID, it clearly yeah. says underneath it, the government makes it very clear underneath it. Mm. Um, deaths for any reason within 28 days of a positive COVID test. It says for any reason. Now neither the BBC nor ITV ever read out for any reason. They always mm -hmm. say deaths within 28 days of a positive. The implication being you've died of COVID. Um, And we know uh, that there is a complete muddle between dying of COVID, i.e., COVID caused your death, yeah. mm-hmm. and dying with COVID, and you've come into hospital because you know you've got some serious respiratory problem. Yeah. You test positive for COVID three days
2: later. It doesn't actually follow that you've died of yeah. COVID because you may almost certainly have got COVID in hospital. Quite,
0: and that means so yes. I would
2: say it's the hospitals and care homes. We need to be looking at what, mm-hmm. what are they doing to to minimise any. Um, transfer of vi- uh, transmission of viruses
0: whatever they may be that moves us very swiftly on to talking about nhs reform because <laughs> yeah. this leaked data um, in the last couple of days suggested that over half of covid hospitalizations tested positive for covid in hospital so they were hospitalized first so as you say tw- these are people who have died within 28 days of receiving a positive test may have gotten that test in hospital. And so the discussions this morning have been all around whether or not this raises questions also about NHS reform with Mike Graham on talk radio saying that the NHS is essentially analog in a digital age um, and that we should be discussing all of this, you know, all of the stuff around um, NHS capacity, the fact that the beds are currently socially distanced and so on and um, the fact that I I think it was um, only one or two people in each hospital around the country, a very small proportion of beds are actually going to COVID patients. Look,
1: COVID, COVID apart, COVID apart, the NHS needs reform. It wasn't designed to cope with what we've got today. The, the founding fathers of the NHS um, made three completely incorrect assumptions. And the first and most crucial one was that because we had an NHS, we'd all get healthier, which we have. Mm-hmm. And that because we all got healthier, this is a crucial thing, demand would decline. So you've got a system based on declining demand. Yeah. Whereas, in fact, demand is going towards infinity. And that is because Bevan could not have foreseen. We're talking about the 1940s. He could not have foreseen the explosion of medical and surgical science, which was going to take off in the 60s and keep going ever since. And at its very simplest, before you had hip replacement surgery, you didn't have any cue for hip replacement. So there was no demand because the thing that is demanded wasn't there. Uh, And therefore, it's gone into complete reverse. We don't tackle it because we're afraid of public opinion. When I say we, I mean politicians in general. All parties are afraid of public opinion on this one. And then very quickly, the other two errors were that longevity would stay roughly the same. Well, now we've got 16,000 centenarians and everybody takes it for granted you can get into your 90s. Uh, and the third was that national insurance would contribute a significant proportion of the cost of the NHS, which is now a joke. It's yeah. 80% of it comes from general taxation.
0: And, and it caused a spike in population. Well, the population you, increases. Did the, they, presumably they didn't predict that by improving people's overall health, they would therefore live longer and there would be more people. Well, as I say, they, they didn't exactly. get long because They were
2: busy rebuilding, I suppose, the country after the Second World War. Well, so there was, was, was all it. that as well, wasn't there? Sort of they had a 1940s
1: that. perspective. Yeah. I mean, in 1950... The average age of women was 69 years old. That is, you retired at 60. Mm -hmm. And you only got your pension for nine years before you died. Um, And people forget. Now, because we understand longevity, we think, oh, well, it must always have been obvious. Mm -hmm. It wasn't always obvious. It
0: wasn't obvious. Yes. Simone from Surrey says uh, people earning over £500,000 a year, presumably, uh, should should have to go private, freeing up the NHS for those... uh, who don't have the money?
1: Oh, I've said for a long time, those who can afford to pay, and I don't think you need to get to half a million before you can afford to pay, those who can afford to pay should. And yes. that is why, um, until I could not get the vaccine because I was in the private sector, um, that is why I have not dealt with the NHS uh, for no. about 40 years. I was in my 30s uh, when I left the NHS and went to the private sector. I've recently had to re-register and fill in a 10-page form in order to get the vaccine, because my private sector doctor wasn't allowed to feed me in at the appropriate time. I got yep. it about three months after my age group.
2: And that's the other crazy thing, isn't it, is that the because um, I've had personal, very awful experiences with the NHS, but also the private sector, and the, what people... I, I can never understand why people don't want to tackle this, is that most of the NHS consultants work in the private sector. So, in fact, really, <laughs> they're just sort of the same thing. Um, the other thing I was going to say is that this sacred cow... Um, would, would only be appropriate calling it a sacred cow, apart from the fact that the NHS is a cow with three legs, half an udder, and one eye. And if that was a cow called Daisy and that was in my field, I'd say, sorry, Daisy, you know what? Your, your, days are, your, your daisies are numbered. Move along. Sorry, I, I had to put that in. But in all seriousness, what the NHS is letting down the poorest in our society. This is what I cannot understand. We've got a two-tier system. Two-tier system. Well, actually, we've got a three-tier system. Yeah, and and you have people going to the NHS, you know, uh, going, I don't really understand what's happening. You have consultants who, frankly, are, (laughs) in my experience, condescending beyond belief. So they don't understand what their illnesses are. They don't have people... We need to have a completely gut it. Completely
1: gut our health system. What we have to ask before we do any gutting is... If we, were, if we were designing a health service now,
2: yeah.
1: knowing what we now know, what would we do? But even having asked that question, you then have to say, but you need to design something which can change. Yes. And for example, in 1998, when I was Shadow Health Secretary and I was saying all of this then in 1998, you know, we need to ask ourselves that question. I was proposing workplace health schemes analogous to workplace pension schemes with similar reliefs. Now, of course, uh, occupational pensions have died a death as far as final salary schemes go. Uh, and we have the gig economy, which means an awful lot of people are not in a workplace yes. in that sense. Yeah. So that would have had to change, and, and our problem is we've got a system which was based on presumptions that no longer hold good. Yeah. and. It can't change. We yes. haven't got change built in. And what? it's always
2: observed bizarre to me that it's the the left whenever the right says this, the left always says, Oh, but that's because, you know, you just want to sort of get oh. people to, you know, be, be Take do have mm-hmm. pay all their money that they can't afford to a health service. It's like, well, mm-hmm. actually, no. This, this, this will change the lives, yeah. everyone's lives for the better. I've what, never why, understood that. Why, why do you
0: think the NHS has become this sacred cow? Why? What? What has led us to, to, to this situation where you you can't question it, you can't even talk about it? Well, it's before.
1: political. It's a political yeah. consequence. You know, the Labour Party always say that we want to that the Conservatives either want to destroy the NHS or want to privatise the NHS or whatever it might be. Uh, and it's become something that the public is so scared of happening.
2: Yeah.
1: Uh, you know, And as soon as you talk about insurance, they don't look at Germany. They don't look at France. They or look Finland. at America. Yes. America. Yes. You know, And say, yeah. oh, oh, we don't want to be like America. Yeah. And I say, I'm not asking you to be like America. Yeah. And it, it is a debate that we desperately need, a grown-up debate, because we've got a three-tier health service. Yeah. On the top tier, you've got the people who get their NHS treatment or they choose to go private. Yes. On the next tier, you've got the people who don't get their NHS treatment because there's postcode prescribing or whatever it might be. They just the queues are too long; they'd be dead by the end of it. Mm. And they don't choose to go private, but yes. they can sometimes at big sacrifice. Yes. Mm-hmm. And on the third tier, the very people for whom the NHS was set up in the first place—the yep. people who don't get their NHS treatment—and if they starve themselves for a year, still couldn't afford to go private—they are dispossessed.
2: And mm-hmm. this system is being defended. Yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. And the left still say, but let's keep it as it is. I mean, it's, it's kind of bonkers. Not to mention the fact that the NHS, during COVID, has just sort of gone, let's just leave cancer... Well, it's stopped everything and order to and heart, COVID. Uh, you yeah. know, mm-hmm. and, ..and heart attacks um, uh, to one side. I mean, it is... I mean, my hu- my late husband, God bless him, died of cancer at the end of twenty eighteen. I mean, I I am apoplectic with rage, as I know people like Carol Sakura, Professor yep. Carol Sakura, that cancer undiagnosed and mm-hmm. late yep. treatment has led to. I mean, uh, the numbers are but the, the numbers are
0: boggling, and we don't even know the. full And extent something of it yet. that no one is talking about is the fact that, and I know this from the horse's mouth that cancer patients are getting pinged by the nhs app and not getting their chemotherapy yeah. as a result because they're having to stay at home and not isolate no. i mean and why, why evil, is nobody really. why is nobody
2: in the mainstream media holding the government to account in front of you know in, in account on front
0: well, because it
2: means criticizing the nhs and we mustn't do mm-hmm. that
1: must we i mean and that, we must that, do that it
0: must change we must do it to i do, mean to yeah. draw to draw an analogy um on the point of systems that were set up potentially to help people who need it and mm. actually end up disadvantaging them because everybody else is, yeah. is taking up those services the migrant crisis <laughs> because um, that's something that's been in the news this week mm. with, um, you know, people who are coming over economic migrants who are obviously taking up resources and spaces that could be given to genuine asylum seekers. Um, it was reported uh, this week in the mail that record numbers of migrants have been coming over. Nigel Farage has been out there in a boat. Looking uh, very dishy, I have <laughs> to with, with a kerchief. Okay. Brexit suits him well. He's <laughs> <A> swept. <laughs> <laughs> Nigel,
2: I see you in a new light.
0: Anyway. And uh, he's <laughs> he's He's been reporting that the, that the French vessels, as we all know, uh, French military vessels have been escorting migrants into British waters oh, rather than that. taking them back to French shores. Um, and that we've had hundreds of boats coming in every day. These are people that are presumably economic migrants. And now, uh, because the, the crisis is so bad, airport yeah. border staff have been redeployed from the airports um, at a time when, apparently, according to the Times, one in ten people from the border force have have been pinged and have to isolate um, because of the NHS lab. <laughs> so really, it's an absolute shambles on every possible <laughs> level. Um, it's absurd. So yes, what what are your thoughts on what's going on? Is Priti Patel all talk? Do we need a similar reform of our immigration system to what you're discussing to do with the NHS? There is no. only
1: one way you you get out of this, and when I, mean, I said this again, 1999, is shut up home secretary then yeah. i said very clearly the only way you get out of this and there is a way out of it is that every new asylum seeker must be detained in a secure reception center not a prison but a secure reception center so that we know where they are we can deal with their cases um, and you know we can turn them around if we're going to say no now What actually happens is the complete opposite. The message that's going out is if you get to Britain, if you can actually get into Britain, they're not going to be removed because we don't have national identity cards. We don't routinely practice detention. We do have a flourishing underground economy. And so it's the Mm -hmm. easiest place in the West, just about, in which to disappear without trace. Mm
0: -hmm. So when
1: we come to reject the application,
0: where are they? Don't know where yeah. they are. and we do That's continue also to pay i think it's only a couple of pounds less in money to to people whose applications get refused so they're only really losing a couple of quid a month yeah.
2: And also, there are a lot of people getting very rich, aren't they, from these these, these people trafficking. Well, the companies traffic? Like as as well. traffickers, yeah, well. traffickers yeah. Are. the companies And they're the not co- on the
1: boats, of course.
2: They're yeah. not on exactly. the boats. Exactly, of course, they're not. You know, risking their lives. Um, you know, uh, in, in, in dinghies. Although the dinghies are getting a lot more, not just like little tiny dinghies. I mean, they're mm. getting proper, hundreds wood, of people, wooden in some of these boats. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, I, God. I and completely agree with Anne. Um, that's a, a you know the the, the rational um, what's the word compassionate way forward. I think now we need the army on the on the shores.
1: Uh, if you've got the army <laughs> sorry, on the shores, I'm sorry. This is but, this is where we don't get it. If you've got the army on the shores, mm. the boats still land.
2: Yes, and they
1: still say I claim asylum. And they can oh, still they disappear. Because they, they just have been, to get to the boats. And where would they, would, all would, they've got to utter is three words. I claim asylum. asylum. That's
2: all they got to do. Sure. And where would, would the asylum, would these centres be sort of, uh, you know, on the, on the shore or Good somewhere, somewhere somewhere? somewhere we did, out,
1: we, we, we'd have to work out where to put them. I yes. had a couple in mind at the time that, yeah. I, that I was shadow home secretary. You, you, you take out, you take on existing structures. Yes. Hmm. Yeah. Um, and you use those. Uh, And it's perfectly possible to do. Um, I know because at the time I looked at it in some detail.
2: Yeah.
1: But after me, Oliver Letwin, who then took over as Shadow Home Secretary, actually proposed, and that proposal has been revived by Priti Patel, that you could actually process them offshore.
2: Yes, that's what I was going to say. Like offshore wind farms. Well, Um, Mark from... Offshore migrant farms.
1: Mark from Middlesbrough. Sorry, you've got to find somebody willing to do it. That's the only thing. Yeah, Um,
0: Well, Mark from Middlesbrough agrees. He says, I agree with Anne. Uh, why don't we process them on the Shetlands or one of the uh, unpopulated British overseas territories, which is obviously something Pretty Patel suggested? Uh, he says uh, maybe we can make them stay there. That would stop them coming. What it would certainly to... have a deterrent Sorry, effect.
1: It would certainly have a deterrent effect, and yeah. um, you know that is the idea. It is to deter. Uh, what you yeah. should not be doing, which is what Pretty Patel is doing, is paying the French millions of pounds to do the thing that Mm -hmm. under their international obligations they should be doing. One one
0: argument is that by paying, we paid the French 20 odd million in October and now we're paying them another 50 odd million, That by doing so when they keep failing to do the job we're just incentivising them to do the job badly because we'll keep keep paying them tens of millions of pounds if they keep messing it up. They want to pass their
2: problem on to us. And also it's like why did we leave Europe if we're, we're still paying the French? Yeah. to do I, their it's, job. It's
1: absolutely ludicrous i don't mind contributing to some joint efforts if they're genuinely yes. joint efforts this isn't this mm-hmm. isn't this is saying to the french we'll pay you all this money to do something which you should be doing and which you're not going to do anyway
0: yeah ken from penzance says uh, these aren't refugees they're economic migrants most of them are young men who've left women and children behind deport them to the last country they left why can't we do that easier said mm.
1: than done and, and and this is where you have to understand some of the problems um you get it particularly at the airports, for example. You get people turning up at the airports without documents and saying they've come from such and such a country yeah. where there is a record of persecution. Now, in order to return um, immigrants or anybody else for that matter, in order to return people to the country of origin, that country of origin under international law has to accept them as nationals. And they don't always do that and sometimes it's quite so it's easy to say but the dublin convention says you have to claim asylum in the first safe country you come to what if we know they've been through france that was as safe as houses that was there yes that's where they should should stay
0: yes so why why is it that we can't just simply when they reach our waters put them on a boat send them back to france
1: well a the will is not there Um, But, Mm. B, France could very simply say, well, you know, they they didn't land here. They may have come through our waters, but they've come through, you know, they've come somewhere else. A very difficult to prove, A, where they've been, B, where they came from, and the genuine ones, of course, aren't. They're very few and far between, but they're the ones who supply all the information because they are genuine Mm. refugees, and you can test it. But we have people saying they're children, when in fact they're quite visibly pensioners. Uh, It's true. (laughs) But it's true, it's true, we have people saying they've come from Somalia and they can't speak a word of the language, you know, Mm. you just, yeah. Yeah. I I don't think anybody realises what it's like on the ground, that's why I say Mm. detain them all because then what are they coming to, detention. Yes. And if we're going to have a job proving that they're the national of a particular country, you know, then they
0: stay there. It sounds yeah. harsh, but it might be the only way to actually tell the difference between genuine and It's not harsh if you, if you
1: have proper, proper secure facilities, mm. you know, which can cater for children where necessary. Yes. I cater for women, you know, proper, decent facilities with education and all the mm. rest of it. It's not harsh.
2: Yeah, it's just extraordinary me, I suppose, that we've got to this stage. And I suppose it's because um, for successive governments have you Know yourself ex- excluded, um, have um, I wasn't in government, but I mean, I should say, politicians then, um, have just sort of gone shrugged their shoulders, said if it's going to be, it's going to be, you know. Well, there are people coming to this country who don't like the West very much, don't like you know our values and, and, and Judeo Christian traditions, that's where. I, I'm appalled that no, that very few people have, have said, enough. I mean, this has been happening, hasn't it, for like 20-odd 20, 20 uh, yeah. years. And
1: you get a lot of talk. I mean, Pretty is a, a very good example of somebody who talks very big indeed mm. and delivers precious little. You know, and that £54 million that we've just paid France, we could have put towards constructing reception centres. Yeah. Would
0: practical. Have been far more
1: useful. Practical. 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 Far more useful.
0: Yeah. So something else that has been in the news this week, um, quite horrifying... Uh, a a lady called Hatton Tash, a 39-year-old lady at Speaker's Corner. Um, She appears to have been stabbed in the face, and there's a horrendous video of it. Um, And this lady, she's a a convert from Christianity to Islam. She preaches at Speaker's Corner regularly. From Islam Um, to Christianity? No, other way. Uh, Other way, yes. From from Islam to Christianity. Oh, sorry. Sorry, I said it the wrong way around? Um, And so she she preaches there regularly. She's previously had threats against her as well. Mm. Um, The Metropolitan Police... uh, had to ferry her away at one point because um, there were threats against her life Um, and at the time Sadiq Khan made a strange uh, equivocating statement uh, where he said that um, he thought that the police had to uh, balance the right to free speech um, with the right to of the police to manage behaviour that could lead to public disorder so rather than criticising those who... Speaker's Corner. Yeah. Speaker's Corner has never yet been charged with breach of the peace. No. And, and you know, you must
1: have you know, statements likely to cause a breach of the peace every day in Speaker's Corner because that's what it's for. Yes, that's exactly. what it's about. Exactly. It's in about the... people being able to say anything. Yes. But I wouldn't read too much into that attack. That is a, a lone attack. Oh, yes, it mm. happened. You know, it, it. we mustn't get things out of proportion that was an attack uh of an by an individual on an individual and unless the mm. police can show otherwise it's got to be treated they, that way so she she
0: yeah. was also she was one of the other points is that she was wearing a charlie, charlie t-shirt. A t-shirt yeah and um we obviously know what has happened previously with the teacher in batley and with samuel patty and france and given that she'd already received threats and actually the free speech union had written to the met saying asking for her to receive Proper protection because she'd been threatened before. Mm. Um, and there's a video for, uh, also from the same day with, that was going around on social media with some people in a group near Speaker's mm. Corner saying that she had it coming. So it looks as if it isn't just some sort of like freak out. They just targeted her and decided to sort of stab her yeah. in the face. And the, I think, as far as I'm aware, the police haven't arrested anyone yet. This person just ran away. See, um, again, we've, we've given extremists
2: in Islam we've given them an inch and now they've taken the whole cow shed i don't know if that's offensive i don't really care um, i i it's unacceptable in this country for somebody to, at speaker's corner to be wearing a t-shirt of a magazine where 12 individuals were murdered by islamists to to for the press to be silent about it is even more worrying and what's happened is we've again we've we've done this well, which is a, ironically mm-hmm. a bit of a french gesture we've kind of gone oh so, you know that's why we're, we're getting and it hasn't just uh, this isn't um an isolated incident this is going to happen again and again and again if we keep apologizing for these this kind of behavior mm-hmm. whether it's woke left you know sort of cut, stopping everyone, people saying things or whether it's somebody with a knife jo- stabbing the jo- jo- Will- speaker's corner jo-
0: joanna williams tweeted uh earlier this week saying that this was the, the armed wing of cancel culture or something to that effect it, it i just think,
1: well, i just think we need to be careful i mean if you think of the murder of joe cox uh, it was very much portrayed as this is the result of you know right-wing activism etc it wasn't it was one man who held those views who dis- did that yes and when it happens on the other side we must also allow for that exactly that same possibility now if the police can find the man and he has been radicalized Mm. Then that is different. Then then you've got to trace the radicaliser.
2: But with Joe Cox, I would argue though that there aren't um, there aren't men like the man that committed that crime against Joe Cox. That is, that there's not um, uh, what's the word? That's not um, systemic. I would argue that the the crime against this woman at Speaker's Corner is part of a systemic problem within is, within Islam, within within one religion. And what they want, because they haven't been through an enlightenment. And, and I know there are many Muslim scholars that would say the same thing because they haven't been through the Enlightenment, like Christianity. They and, are, Judaism, and Judaism. Right, and of Judaism, of course, and yep. Judaism. That is why we are where we are, because we're dealing with people that don't understand, no, this is not the country. If you want to do those, by all means, go to a country that will um, execute you if you blaspheme. You, That's not the United Kingdom.
0: And somebody, what well, we all need to, to say, no, mm-hmm. enough. I wonder whether, so um, obviously we've seen recently that there are lots of people who are willing to, for example, commit criminal damage or other acts of violence, not just in relation to what you would say maybe like blasphemies against any particular religion, but also um, blasphemies against certain taboos, certain either spoken taboos or um, in alignment with wokeism, however you want to describe it. Um, because earlier, earlier today I saw um, on Twitter, there was a, a clip from a, a lecture given at uh, LSC. It was someone from the Department for Gender Studies, a student presented a paper at a conference. And I'm going to read out the quote um, to see what you think of it. So uh, this student said, and it said so in quite a poetic uh, way, I'm not going to manage to capture that, said, <laughs> um, we go unnoticed right up until the moment they scream for mercy. Am I a threat to you? Do I send chills down your spine? Picture this, I hold a knife to your throat and spit my transness into your ear. Does that turn you on? Are you scared? I sure effing hope so. Um, and according to this tweet, this was obviously in the context of talking about turfs. So I guess my question to you is, you know, Obviously, we know all of the context around Hattab Tash and Charlie Hebdo. Mm. It's something that's been going on for a long time, all the way from Salman Rushdie, Theo Van Gogh, uh, you know, so many different cases and Charlie, the Charlie Hebdo uh, satirical cartoonists themselves mm. being gunned down in 2015. We, we know the context of that. We know that, you know, Islamists want to physically harm people who blaspheme against their I- ideal ideology um but my question to you is more are we seeing a sort of uh, worrying drift towards an intolerance against other taboos as well or other people who hold other views um that sh- how concerned should we be about you know potential violence against say turfs very um, mm. now i
1: don't think that that necessarily exemplifies it, because I haven't seen the whole paper.
0: Mm-hmm. I don't know
1: in what context those particular lines appeared. Um, you know it was a paper from a student. It isn't as if this is you know a sanctioned university course or whatever mm-hmm. it might. So I just want to be very careful about drawing from that. Mm-hmm. But I think should we be worried, um uh, about um violence towards people whose views are deemed unacceptable to the woke Mm. i think the answer is yes because i think that's the path we're now going down um you know it began with social condemnation then it went to cancellation where your actual livelihood can be under threat
2: um you know
1: the next stage is um probably some sort of violence now i'm not saying that everybody who holds woke views would approve of that um But everybody doesn't have to. It will be sufficient if some do.
2: Yes, exactly. And also these strange, these TERFs. I mean, I've been called a TERF. To start, I'm not trans-exclusionary, and I'm not a radical feminist. (laughs) So so it's sort of like... It's all wrong, isn't it? So it's all wrong. It's, no, I believe there are two biological sexes. I'm 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 an adult um, human female. That's my... I'm to be white, uh, but that and that's 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 who I am. But I don't, I don't. Um, it, it's this, it's this grouping together of, of people, even if it's inaccurate. That's the funny thing is, like, I'm not gender critical. I do believe that there are, with within men and women, and they've done exper- You know, obviously with chimps, baby chimps, that a male chimp will go for the building blocks, and a female tiny baby chimp will go for the go for dolls. I mean, they've done ex- many experiments where that is sort of your behaviour is sort of aligned with your gender. So that's 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 another thing which but again the left love to yeah. sort of put people into into groups um without looking at individual views. They just sort of go well that's you then. So to wind, to
0: wind up briefly um I also wanted to put to you some statistics from a poll that was published in the spectator um through steerpike. Apparently Um, 40% of the public would support the government censoring books with content that is sexist, homophobic or racist. So they surveyed... (laughs) According (laughs) to whose definition? Yeah. And 29% said that they don't know whether they would agree with that. And so some of the other stats here, um, 62% said that they would support social media companies censoring similar content. 57% said that Ofcom should have greater powers to find broadcasters who make offensive comments. And 51% said that they agreed that the government should stay neutral in societal debates on cultural issues like taking the knee. So my question is twofold. Mm. Firstly, um, has the Conservative government on these cultural issues misjudged the mood of the public if this poll is correct? And also, given what we were just talking about in terms of the growing intolerance towards particular views, particular taboos, does this suggest that actually the British public would be more tolerant of the government taking a role in censoring those views than perhaps we thought.
1: Well, I think one of the, if I've read that uh, a poll correctly, first of all, this is not a poll of just young people. Yeah. You know, This is a poll right across the generations. And something like 40%, 40% think it would be okay uh, for the government to act as censors on things like racism and homophobia and yeah. all the rest. Now, according to whose definition um, yeah. It's not entirely clear. Now we've already got a situation in which you don't even have to objectively prove that an offence has taken place. Mm-hmm. Somebody can claim that an offence has taken place, um, and that is enough to have you uh, with a police record. I mean, not a yeah. criminal record; you haven't be mm-hmm. convicted anywhere, but it's enough to have you on some police register. Now you know, it's getting dangerous. It's getting dangerous. And yes, there is a pushback. You know, we've got this, we've got um, uh, GB News, we, we, we've got uh, we've got free speech union, yeah. we've got a pushback going on. But oh boy, has it now got something to push back yes. against. Totally. And maybe we should have had this pushback 10 years ago.
2: Yes, absolutely. Couldn't agree more. We're seeing, I mean, the, the fact that, that we, 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 we're almost certainly going to have free speech legislation which I very much back, by the way, yeah. mm-hmm. is it's an different. interesting indicator because, because of course we have an unwritten constitution. So um, we've, we have a social contract with each other that we've had, which has worked very well as, as the envy of most of the world. Now we're seeing the, the idea that the governments are going to be more, are, are going to sort of interfere more in our lives, um, which I, I will push back against with, to, you know, with every breath that's left in my body, I'm not going to have you know I was going to just to, uh, fi-
0: final thoughts. Um, do you think that this trajectory towards and I don't just mean on free mm. speech but also when we were talking about the vaccine passports and so on, do you think that we are hurtling towards a culture both in terms of the relationship between the individual and the government, but also people's views in general, the government's views also hurtling towards worrying restrictions on our liberty and whether do you yes. think that that's reversible?
1: it is reversible but it's not going to be reversible overnight
0: mm-hmm. it
1: will need more than just legislation it yep. will need sheer social unacceptability yes directed towards intolerance and until we have that which we once had and took utterly for granted yeah. I mean, where did it go yeah. were we not alert when it was going
2: completely agree and we need, we need to be intolerant of intolerance, intolerance. Absolutely, none of this sort of like, well, you know, we might allow that. No, 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 yeah. we, we won't allow that because you give them a little tiny bit, and then all of a sudden, you mm-hmm. know, we're, we're all riding bicycles wearing Maoist no. uniforms.
0: <laughs> on that note, well, wearing, wearing masks, certainly <laughs> wearing masks. Yeah. On that note, thank you, Anne, thank you, Abby, and thank you for watching as well. Yeah. So um please do go on, hit the subscribe button and like, and uh, see you next time. Thanks very much.
1: Or dislike. We believe in free speech.
0: Not sure there is a dislike button. (laughs) (laughs)